0: Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike Podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at Collective.com. Welcome back to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Uh, this one, uh, this this episode finds us on the heels of a loss to our rivals in the Delby Del Camino Royale, uh, um, El Paso Locomotive, a 3-2 loss. So me and Alicia, my co-host who's joining me, how are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, man. I'm freezing. This cold front just hit us out of nowhere, and it is freezing in my house. I'm not kidding you. It is below 60 degrees right now.
0: Oh, man. You look like you're kind of <laughs> kind of bundled up there.
1: Yeah, I am. It, it's really cold in here right now.
0: Yeah, no joke. I mean, my mom was telling me that it was going to get cold like last week she was like, it's going to get cold on Wednesday. And I was like, Mom, you don't understand. The weather in New Mexico is so random. It says that, and then it's going to be all sunny. But she definitely didn't disappoint because it was, like, freezing cold outside. And, you know, nonetheless, today I just slept into the very last moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like two days ago it was at 100 degrees, and then all of a sudden – it drops below the 50s, and I'm like, whoa. I I wanted fall, but I didn't want us to hit us that hard all of a sudden.
0: I think it's because we lost to El Paso, to be honest.
1: Maybe, maybe.
0: Hell, hell is freezing over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so yeah, so let's talk about it. Like, uh, you know, we're fresh off of this 3-2 loss, Um you know, I wasn't really willing to accept it at first. Um, it was my initial feeling after the match was, "I don't want to accept this. I don't want to talk about it. I just I wanted it to go away." And uh, and and really, for me, the reason why I felt that way is because is it, it we played a great match, but there were like a few key mistakes and some things that I thought should have gotten called, but didn't get called. And at the very end, it's just like, okay, this probably was going to be a two, two tie. What, What was your thought? Like after watching that, and we'll get into a little bit of what happened after that.
1: I I couldn't agree more. I didn't want to accept the loss at first. You know, there are rivals and to me it was just like a very frustrating night for us and I know we're going to get into it, but there was just like little things throughout the game like, hey, like seriously, we shouldn't be doing this and the ref should be doing a better job at calling the game, but you know, I think we all know this by now, USL refs, they aren't that great. And it's just the little mistakes at the ends that cost us. And unfortunately, you know, we were bound to lose to El Paso either now or later in the future, just like Phoenix Rising. So, you know, it's better kind of just to get it off now, shake it off, and then just looking forward to the next game. Because even though we don't have that big gap between us in the table, we're still on top. And you know, who I think San Antonio plays next against El Paso, if I'm correct.
0: Yeah, this Saturday.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and I hope San Antonio crushes them because they deserve it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I, I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Today, San Antonio have put out a little blurb on their social media and uh, the New Mexico uh, media account. Blurred out everything about San Antonio clinching a a playoff berth and anything else that maybe San Antonio cared about and just left the line that says a win against El Paso on Saturday night. And they said, yeah, it reads good to me. And I thought, man, those are like the modern cliff notes because they just (laughs) basically just, you know, kept what that, what was important. And for us, of course, we we care. We want we want San Antonio to beat El Paso. Um, it helps us overall in the points race um, for that to happen. So that's that's definitely very key for us.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is.
0: Yeah, and so um, so that being said, um, I just want to say off the top that I feel like, um. I feel like we going into this match, like if I can go back to the press conference from between Colorado Springs and this match, um, I kind of felt like I kind of felt like there was some uncertainty coming into this match. Like, you know, I mean, I know we kind of talked about it. The last time, but I feel like maybe the uncertainty to to come out and and be confident in the in that press meeting was that that the team that they're playing had suddenly changed. You know that the El Paso mm-hmm. that we had played the two times before was suddenly different because they have, you know, a new defending line m- mainly, and that they also moved some other pieces around. So, you know, like I couldn't help but feel like there was something kind of different in the air uh coming into the match. Um I called this episode in fact a nightmare on Loco Street uh because I feel like there were a couple of things that really kind of impacted the night. We're going to get into it. Um really at the start now. Um So starting off with the lineup, um, we were looking at running a 4-2-3-1. Commentators stated before that we ran 3-4-3s against El Paso, but we were were running a 4-2-3-1, and we had Suggs, Hamilton, Ryden, Yearwood in the back. We had Saleem Mohammed Tanari, uh, in the mid, along with David Estrada, Chris Wehan, Amanda Marino, and Devin Sandoval at the top. Um, what uh, do you, did you like this lineup? Um, did you think that Guzman should have been in the lineup? I don't know if he was even available. I, I don't, I don't think he was available, but I mean, did you like this combination? of the lineup. The subs were uh, Tete, Najum, Bruce, Alinvi, Sergai, and Parks.
1: Yeah, I kind of figured Guzman wasn't going to be available because I know he got hurt a lot the game before El Paso, and I, you know, I saw Lee in there. I really like him as a player, and, and I felt like, you know, he's going to do fine in the middle. He always does great wherever you put him, but It was just iffy to me in the, I think it was in the back, I believe, where Hamilton was. I wasn't too sure about that. I would have rather had that this start instead of uh, Hamilton being a starter.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, for me, um, you know, the main things going into that match where we were concerned about the back line, we were concerned about Salgado really kind of being a threat back there. And also, you know, how well we could defend against the corner kick um, or any set pieces, because, you know, we have definitely seen how many opportunities other teams have to score on those. So I was definitely concerned about that. Um, I mean, I think anytime you're playing a team like this, like, you want your best pieces in. To me, I don't know that Hamilton was my top choice over Tete only because it seems like what else was in were, like, you know, maybe the better selections. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like...
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I feel the same way, too, about that selection, so...
0: It's just, I mean you can you can see it across the lineup. I mean yeah Najum could have been in there too easily. Mm-hmm. Like Najem could have been an option like right there like at the top. Like Estrada came in. Estrada was playing that that left winger spot. You know? And mm-hmm. and perhaps we were looking at another night kind of like real Monarchs where Estrada played up top there too, you know? So that, that might've also been maybe something else is to have someone who could kind of create distribution or passes along the sides. Um, So it it definitely was an interesting lineup um, to say the least. Um, But I guess as we've come to see these lineups for the most part, like, you know, we're kind of limited to separ- so different like selections, you know, it, I'm probably happier that he put in that set selection than to have put in maybe Romeo where De- uh, Devin Sandoval is, or to put in, you know, uh, Joris Alenvi like I'm just happy that he didn't necessarily put the guys who normally play like full matches on the bench and think to bring them in later.
1: Yeah, no, I was happy about that too because this was kind of a, this was an important game for us. And you know, it's where where it gets me, it's the subs that happened throughout the match that I was not happy with whatsoever and I I just if it were me, I would have done completely different subs with how the game was going.
0: Right. Okay. So then, El Paso comes out in a four-four-two diamond. This is pretty much obviously like the sort of thing they like to do. Um, they had Andrew Fox, uh, Brent Coleman, uh, who is from Minnesota United. They had uh, Meshach Jerome as a center back, uh, and then Maka King as the right back. They had Richie Ryan as uh, as the bottom of the diamond with. Um, Chapo Herrera and Brian Rebillon, um on the sides of the diamond with Dylan Mares at the top and then uh, Aaron Gomez and Omar Salgado uh, at, the, at the top two um, I mean obviously you know like what were your concerns with this sort of a lineup maybe things that you thought were favorable to United and maybe some things that were going to be concerns off the bat? Oh
1: Man, favorable, I guess, would be that they didn't put in the new FC Juarez players in because so far um, they've been kind of like the extra and like the extra time subs towards the end of the second half, mm-hmm. but what was kind of worrying me was um Salgado not only because he like how he played in the last matches but ever since that like he's been improving and improving and improving and I guess you can say he's kind of not so much like a cherry picker but if you give him the ball he's going to do something with it. And it's just like Devin Sandoval. If you give him the ball, he's going to try and do something with it. But if you don't give him anything, he's not going to do anything. And with that, it was just kind of scary because he also had uh, Chapa Herrera right there helping him. And it was just kind of unstoppable between them two up in the front.
0: Yeah. um, The lineup that they have, some of the concerns I had, Obviously, Salgado is a concern. Like they had him on they had him on the right side. Um, and of course, you know Kalen Ryden was played on the left side just to kind of stop where Salgado likes to go. Um, I thought I'm, I'm not sure if it happened, but I thought maybe Ryden would switch because it would make sense to probably mark. Salgado with Ryden, I think they, they did in fact um, lock into each other. I think it just mm-hmm. makes sense wherever Salgado lined up, that Trey was like just switch to that side. Um, but I thought Salgado was a threat because I mean obviously they can just send the ball out front in front of him, and um, and then of course it's just about who gets to the ball fast first. Um, I was interested about Brian Rebion because I know that he was a chance creator from the right back position. And, you know, considering previous match, we played with him where he had like kind of a bicycle kick and he created a chance. I thought he might be a little bit more dangerous being closer, uh, to the forwards. You know, he might be able to create, um, a higher volume of chances. Um, the, the closer that he was up there, plus he could take shots. So, I mean, but the only thing was that he's obviously still trying to grow into the position. I mean, you know, he was a right back. So, you know, them having him on the side a little bit higher up, is like, you know, how much does that mess with his range or, you know, does that not give him as much, you know, uh, ability? Cause you know, in that position, he's got to take the ball, turn and run. You know, he doesn't, you know, it's not like he can just do it what defenders are doing anymore at that point. Um, I liked Meshach Jerome being in, to be honest with you, because um, basically I felt like that was a weak point to the defensive line because I think before Rebion was on the back line, I think Maka was next to him. So I think that that's how they solidified the back line before. Mm -hmm. And so with Meshach Jerome, I knew that, you know, he didn't really have a lot of speed. And so if he got the ball too much that he might create, you know, some opportunity for United to kind of jump in and kind of find some loose balls. Um, so for me, like, I mean, that was, that was kind of what I was looking at. My keys, my thoughts were limit Salgado don't create any opportunities for rebellion. And, and then of course, like Mishach Jerome, like could totally give it away for us. Um, okay. good.
1: Oh no, no, I was just agreeing.
0: Yeah, so um, so initially like coming into this match I know the first 10 minutes of the match seemed for the most part like El Paso was kind of you know ultimately kind of not necessarily uh, they were playing more into into United side I didn't really, I mean I know that United came out in the press but it just seemed like a lot of opportunity presented itself to El Paso earlier on the match. Kind of like when you were watching this match, uh, what did you think about like the way United got started? And, you know, did you, were there some things that you kind of liked that were, that was happening?
1: Um, The way they started, I personally think they started off pretty, uh, pretty strong. You know, they didn't really fall off, but, it still kind of took them a little bit to to play to their full potential. And some things that I liked is that they, they just kept knocking it around, and whenever they had that opportunity, they would start moving it up. And that's something that I really like about them because they don't really just try to rush it and – They really take their time, and they look for the open passes because each open pass, they can create different plays, and that's what I really like about how they've been playing so far.
0: Right. So at 12 minutes in, um, United concede a corner kick, and this is one thing that I want to say is that El Paso is a team – that thrives on, like, their corners, their cross plays. I mean, if you give them set pieces, like, they're thriving on that. So 12 minutes in, and we're already looking at a corner kick uh, being taken. I think it was taken by Dylan Morris. He takes the kick. It comes in, and for it, I want to say it falls down. David Estrada gets a leg on or gets a boot on it, kind of mm-hmm. – tips it back. Chris Weehan gets the ball and he kicks it up forward up to Amanda Moreno. So then Amanda Moreno has got the ball on his front foot. He must at this point sense that Meshach Jerome is behind him because he like takes a step over on the ball and just completely like loses Meshach Jerome for a moment. And it's still coming down Uh, towards Logan Ketterer and just at the very like last moment, he just passes the ball over to this other area. You know, I understand at this point, Devin Sandoval and David Strada are coming down. He passes it over there and then Estrada gets the ball and just kicks it in. Um, I thought that this goal was so amazing. Um, because for one, I mean, Amanda Moreno is all style. I mean, he he is all style. He gets the ball and, you know, he has to sense the defender on his back, you know, and the fact that Mishak was charging him, Mishak couldn't slow down. I mean, he was just going straight. And by the time that things changed direction on him, I mean, he had clobbered Logan Ketterer. And I just thought, that that was such a brilliant play. And it was just funny to like watch over and over because, I mean, he literally clobbered his goalkeeper and the other guy didn't even see it coming either. I mean, you know, for this being like the first goal of the match, I mean, like, what were you thinking when you saw that? Like what was your initial reaction to the way it was the sequence of the goal?
1: I, That was my favorite play of the match. I Immediately, I was standing in front of the TV, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I know he's a Moreno's one-on-one with the keeper. Those shots are very difficult. And I see Estrada on his left side running in open, and I'm like, what are you going to do? You need to pass it. And he passes it, and I get happy because... I love the unselfish plays. He could have easily taken the shot, and, you know, it could have bounced off of the goalie, and we probably still would have been nil-nil. And it's just, I really like how humble Moreno is, and he, you know, he saw the opportunity, gave it to Estrada, and Estrada just knocked it in, and everyone was excited, and not even Ketterer or they weren't they weren't ready for that because they thought Moreno's one on one, he's going to take the shot. He's you know, he's would be kind of like stupid not to take the shot.
0: What kind of shot do you think that Amanda Moreno would have taken it? If if he did take that shot, what what how do you think he would have shot it?
1: I think he would have chipped it over Ketterer.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of thought the same way too, actually. Cause I mean, I know we've seen him do that a few times and like, it's mm-hmm. been, it was successful one time. And I, I was like, well, he's probably going to have to chip that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I had asked Amondo in the press conference. I said, like, you know, what was the sequence there? And I, what I was really trying to ask him, I don't mm-hmm. think it came out directly was I was like, I was like, you know, when you got the ball, like, in your mind did you know that you were going to basically just put some style on it and just like cross them up real quick you know and (laughs) like you know how much of it was planned and you know he but it's but then like it's kind of like how do you ask a guy who is a style master how he just put some style on it do you know what I mean like yeah for him it's just regular play but for me watching it I was like Oh my gosh! Like this is like I felt like this was MLS quality, like, like um, goal scoring because I felt like here's this guy he gets a ball and he's pushing it, pushing it, and then he just does this crazy turn and all of a sudden, you know, like he's going a different direction on Mishak. It was like the equivalent of like someone like you know dribbling through their legs and doing a crossover and, and losing them and. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I did not see the pass coming. I honestly thought I was like, "Dude, what is he gonna do?" Like he's running out of space, and and then there's this ball, and I'm like, "Oh shoot!" Estrada's on the end of it. Like I couldn't even believe it, and I and and I and it, I was just like, "What?" And like when I t- when I asked Devin, I was like, "Dude, what did you, what were you thinking?" Like as this thing was happening, and you know, and I mean, he he just kind of treated it like it was normal. But I was just like, man, like, I don't know how you guys just treat this like like it's normal. This was such a brilliant play. I mean, you know, and maybe the theatrics come, are more, are more about the fact that Ketterer can't get back up because he gets clobbered. I just, you know, I, I could watch that a million times.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing play. And I love how he wasn't selfish about it either. And because of that, we ended up going up uh, 1-0. And I just really liked it. It was my favorite play. And it's probably my favorite play of of the season so far.
0: Yeah, and that's crazy because it seems like there's like... I mean, I think if we thought about all the goals that we've seen, I mean, that one is like up there
1: it's up there and i have to say my number two would be kaylin ryden's header in salt lake that one just like it was perfect
0: i would go with that one if they show if they just originally showed the angle of him like kind of being off the way and he's like calling for it (laughs) because like he literally was like there for a minute like you Mm -hmm. know so um so like you said, it put United up one nil, but El Paso, like it wouldn't be long before El Paso was back in our in our back third and and to me, like that's a problem that they're getting back so fast. so like 14 minute, they're taking a corner kick, and so for the most part, nothing really comes from that. you know, ultimately, the ball you know is just kind of volley back and forth. United is playing it. Um, I know it's back in United's half for a little bit. So then El Paso gets the ball back Um, around the 26th minute. uh, The ball obviously goes out. United concedes another corner kick. So this is like three corner kicks that had happened, like from the 12th minute to the 26th minute. Um, And then this is the one that ultimately leads to Maka King's goal. Uh, Maris takes the kick it comes in maka king is kind of off of the line and he just comes in and heads the ball in and then it's basically one one um so when this goal goes in you know i'm thinking to myself like well here it is we've pretty much conceded another goal from a corner kick what what do we need to do differently to kind of take away this opportunity
1: Oh man, I, I think it was this goal if I remember from the, from the game footage, but I oh, man we need to cover. Maka King was open. He ran in and he headed it. He was wide open and if you see who's supposed to be um, covering him, I believe it's Sam Hamilton. He left him wide open and he's not covering anyone. And I'm like, what are you doing? You are supposed to be on him, and it's just—I don't know. It—that's where—that's where I get like, you should. Um, that's where like my issue with the substitutions come in. When stapes when mistakes like that start happening, you—you you need to go out.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, it was like we certainly couldn't do anything. early in the match at at 26 minutes because it's like Mm -hmm. you know and I I think that just comes from the fact that you know coming into a match like you know we've had to essentially create so many positions I mean if you think about it I mean you know we've you know we got I mean Yearwood was naturally you know a defender but you know he's become that right back and you know i'm sure like when he's playing he's got to think a little bit about you know guys like salgado or andrew fox running up to the top on him. um but like you said that side that's pretty much hamilton and and maybe Ryden was over there too but um, i
1: mean i couldn't really blame it on raiden because if you look back he's the, like he's basically the only one that's tall enough to cover Salgado at a really good angle and he's on him. And the only one left that wasn't marking anyone who should have been marking someone was Hamilton.
0: So, I mean, at this point, I mean, seems like more of, of what United need to do. Cause I mean, the teams that we're going to continue to play all seem to love the opportunities on the corners. Like, like, Seems like United needs to like try to stop conceding corner kicks. Like, they need to try to keep, you know, they need to either play shield to the ball better whenever they're trying to gain possession, you know, on the outer rim, you know, or they need to ultimately just not, you know what I mean? Like, not lose the ball, like, in those areas.
1: Yeah. And, you know that's what's also scary too. When it comes to the corner kicks and the set pieces, as you were saying with El Paso, it's just where they—that's where they thrive from. That's where their goals come from. And it, like I said before, it's the middle we really need to be covering and stop leaving it wide open.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because it, again, like I mean, if you're when you're watching the match, it's like okay, like that's three corner kicks. Um, so at a minute or 40 minutes in, um, United gets a penalty. Um, Ketterer turns – uh, so United gets a penalty. Um, Ketterer turns over the ball to Chris Wehan. So at this point, basically, this is them building out of the back. Um, you know, Meshach Jerome kicks it to the Ketterer. Ketterer kicks it up. And ultimately, he loses the ball. Chris Wehan is able to get it there's a little bit of what Andy Hageman would call ticca taka," for the sake of this, where there's a little bit of pinball movement going in and Devin Sandoval cleverly gets the ball and just kind of scoops it in like off of the back hill, just rolls it to like Amando Moreno who ultimately is going in and then Maka King takes him out. Like to me, like, I know he, they were trying to argue that Maka King got the ball, but from my vantage point, and I'm sure yours, like Maka King, pretty much took out his hips. I mean, it just
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was such a dirty play, especially if, have it being a breakaway and in the and in the box. It was such a dirty play on them, and I like I know when your fans like you don't know that's not a call, but you look at it, that was. That was a good call on the ref. That that was a penalty. That was bad on Maka King.
0: And I know that you – we had kind of texted a little bit during the match, and, like, like you were saying that you just – you were just so frustrated with Maka King. And, like, I thought – I wonder if this was the point where you were frustrated with him. Because at this point, Maka King is pretty much all over Armando Moreno, just about anywhere he goes. Um, you know they must have said his name quite a bit that night, if you will. And so, I mean, that didn't really look like a very good matchup between Amondo and Mo Kane.
1: No, it didn't. And I, and that's where it was. I was getting frustrated because when it came to our breakaways, of course he was on him, and but like no one was helping Moreno. No one was there with him. To be able to help him, there was a time where I think him and Devin ended up getting quadruple teamed by the whole back line. And when it came to the set pieces, like I said, Maka King was never covered. And that was just getting so frustrating because he already uh, put in a goal in the first half. And it was just scary because, you know, he has the potential to do it again.
0: See, I wonder if David Estrada being marked as an outside wing, like if David Estrada could have gone down and just kind of been more of like, you know, kind of a a diversion or interference for off king. Do you know what I mean? Because like how it's all set up, I mean, Sandoval's on the top, so he's obviously trying to get in and get in a little position in there and become kind of a target. But, I mean, Estrada is like out there on the left wing and – I'm sure Mono Moreno was trying to find an angle. You know what I'm saying, but I, that's where I, I wonder. You know if if there was anything else United could have done, you know, so that Maka King and Moreno were not like always a matchup throughout the night. Because I mean, that that would seem to very much limit like that sort of opportunity.
1: This is where I started thinking, and I'm like, this is where. Guzman is needed because he's such a, you know, a defensive mid. He's the one that kind of stays in the middle and looks up at the field and see what plays he can make while, well, you know, Andrew Tanari goes in and is more of the attacking mid, and then he can go up. And this is where I felt like our missing piece right there was Guzman because if he was there and he saw that, you know, Maka King is always on Moreno, and then Estrada tries to help, but then someone's on him too. That's where Guzman can step in, you know, and be like, hey, 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 I'm open, and then look to the other
0: side. Right, right. So Devin Sandoval takes the penalty kick. Um, crazy fact that he's gotten all three of his goals from – no, that's not right. He's gotten two of his goals from penalty kicks, Right. Is that correct? Um,
1: I believe two. Yes, two. Because one of them, it was it wasn't a penalty kick, but it also was against El Paso. I think it was the second time
0: around. Right. It was the long kick, um, just as Mishaq Jerome is on him, and he kicks it past Logan Ketterer. That's the the second goal. But it was interesting that all three of Devin's goals have come against El Paso. Mm-hmm. So. That definitely has been good. Um, and, I mean, to me, Sandoval is is golden on taking the penalty kicks. I mean, they know which direction he's going. And, you know, I mean, Ketterer still can't stop him. I mean, you know, do you think that anywhere in, in Devin's mind that he ever thought that he wasn't going to kick it the way he kicked it?
1: Uh, no, I think when you take a a penalty kick, you kind of have, like, your comfortable spot. And then, because you can tell, like, when he went to take it, he kind of faked it. And then he went to where he was going to, he always goes to. And, you know, Ketter got fooled once again. And I guess he's, you know, he probably thought afterwards, he's like, damn, he kicked it in the same place. Why didn't I trust my gut? Yeah,
0: because, I mean, Devin's just... He just rolls up and just takes it it's like a guy in basketball it just takes the free throws like it's Mm -hmm. it's something that he's just he's good with like there's probably not a whole lot of thought process they had to go into it for Devin ketterer you know figures oh he's a righty he's going he's definitely going this direction i mean if he went that way then i ketterer would have got it but you know i mean as it was Devin put it right in the middle of the ribbing and uh and that's that's that was all she wrote so i mean It's 2-1 at this point. Um, On the flip side of the pitch, somewhere in the middle, about 43 minutes or so, you see Devin Estrada. Like, he's essentially trying to get possession of a loose ball, and he has already jumped over one guy, which I saw him kind of jump over the guy, and he gets on his feet, and then all of a sudden, I think there's Andrew Fox who he gets kind of tangled up with. He falls over Fox. So then they're both on the ground. Um, Of course, I don't know what happened after that because the camera kind of pans to, like, the back of where, like, the goal is at. And then you see all of a sudden the ref, you know, blowing his whistle or, you know, whistle and pulling up a yellow. And then all of a sudden we just know that David David Estrada is, like, being given, like, a yellow card. And, you know, I'm guessing, do you think that he just kind of continued to get – tangled up with Fox? Like, do you think it became a little bit of a scuffle there or what, what do you think happened? Cause.
1: Yeah. I like, I've never seen a Shrata get upset like that, but you know, some, um, who was it? I think it was, I believe he said it was Fox. He was tangled up with, he probably must've told him something and you know, it, it kind of like bothered him and he started going at it and you know, Fox kept going and going and going because, Estrada wouldn't stop until I believe it was Suggs and Devin that kind of pushed him away and saying, like, hey, you're fine. Just calm down.
0: Yeah, because I I didn't know if, like, maybe, like, once – because Estrada and Fox were both on the ground, and I didn't know if maybe, like, you know, one of them got up and it was like, oh, I'm just going to trip you again and put you back on the ground. But because they were still on the ground, and I just can't think – that they were on the ground for like three minutes each. Like, I feel like they both got up and then someone probably tripped each other Yeah, You know what I mean? Cause yeah, it just kind of seemed like that's what was happening. And, and anyways, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't count on Estrada losing it like that. I mean, you know, and, 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 and especially like getting that, that yellow card, it kind of reminded me honestly of when, when United played San Antonio last year, um, and uh, there was that free kick that was taken and some, some players got pushed out of bounds and Salim Muhammad was on the scene. And they said something to Salih and Sali just lost it. And, you know, and it was to the point where they ejected Salih, if you remember, like, like very early into the first half. And, you know, I'm just like, man, they must have said something, you know what I mean, that, that ultimately gets someone just so pissed off.
1: Yeah, like, it just makes you wonder, you know, what could they have possibly said to cause that?
0: Right. So then at 45, Mares takes a free kick. Um, El Paso plays the second ball and is able to get the ball into the back of the net. Um, it's But it's ultimately called offside by Aaron Gomez. So he takes it, he heads it in, and then they call it offside because of the fact that he's obviously, like, you know, Pass the last man before the mm. before he gets to the ball, but still like El Paso. Look at this continues to show how they're dangerous. We've we've been saying it: corner kicks, set pieces, free kicks. I mean, like you know, and especially this Dylan Maritz guy. I mean, he has thirty chances currently for the club. Uh, he's also one of their leading goal scorers with three goals. Um, you know, and and to me, like. You know this guy continues to kind of be a bit of an issue. I mean, 30 chances created—that's a lot. That's potentially a lot of goals scored, but you know El Paso doesn't score a lot of goals, so they just shoot a lot of shots.
1: Yeah, and it's just—it's just crazy to me how, when it comes to these set pieces, there's always that one that one that, like I said, is always open. And that's how we end up conceding a goal.
0: Right. So more of the Maka, King, and Moreno, uh, as I noted, that they were still battling up the left wing uh, through the majority of, like, the first half. Like, again, I just thought, okay, like, what is United going to do differently in the second half to kind of free up that mismatch? Because I felt like it was. And, you know, and, 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 if it wasn't market King trying to obviously get in and find a goal or create chances, I mean, then he was really playing into um, some of the physical factors. So then by the end of the first half, I made some notes of some of the numbers just because I wanted to try to compare how things were. So when it came to uh, possession, it was about equal. I mean, United maybe had 50%, El Paso had 49%. Um, When it came to duels, you know, El Paso obviously had a greater percentage at 52. And I mean, duels obviously is going to be like, you know, them being able to, to, to get around their men, you know, being able to, you know, keep possession and and battle. And I I feel like El Paso obviously does that well. They obviously have that sort of footwork and, you know, they're able to kind of get the body on, on, United in such a way, um, aerial duels that went to El Paso at seventy-seven percent. We were looking at eighteen percent, so we just were not getting a head or body on anything in the air whatsoever. Um, but and I think that also kind of came from the fact that some of the times that Cody kicked free kicks, I mean, he just kind of basically kicked it back into their possession or he kicked it out of bounds.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, after that, I. I think that they they kind of just started to give up and they started kind of to rush things and things weren't getting done, you know, kind of um like kind of smoothly like how we were doing it earlier, but it's just like we weren't waking up.
0: Yeah. And so we did well when it came to interceptions. We got six. Um Again, so we have conceded corners to them. They have three at that time. Um, on the attack, it was a little bit more favorable to United as we had taken four shots and we had four on target. Um, so our accuracy was 100%. So obviously United taking shots. They're trying to take shots that are purposeful. They're getting in front of, of the target. They're taking their shots. Um, to me, that obviously sounds good. Um They had one shot outside, three inside. Now, when you look at Locomotive, Locomotive took nine shots. They had three on target. So their accuracy is like 33%. They had three blocked shots, three outside, six inside. So, I mean, right there, you can already see kind of a contrast between United and Locomotive, right? United like to pull up and they like to take shots when they're there. And El Paso just like to take shots from anywhere like they'll just fire and um i was listening to i think i was listening to uh seriously seriously local podcast and they had kind of made a comparison of like basketball They said you know united is like united sets up their offense like on the opponent's like side like they'll just run like you know something wherever they see an opening whereas like el paso has more of that. They're kind of setting up the offense from the half court. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, and and if you kind of look at the way United sets up, it's kind of like things aren't developing from the top, like from the center. Like, things kind of develop, like, inside. and, And I'm just wondering, like, going forward, like, you know, does United need to try to maybe develop a little bit more, Offense, Like, do they need more chances created? Because if they're only taking shots when it's surely there and a team is does their best to ultimately, you know, take care of the first shot, like where are we going to get the second and third ball opportunities from?
1: We definitely need more on offense. And it was – like I said, I'm, I'm gonna just get into this. It was the, the subs when it came to the subs. You know, Troy um, subbed out Moreno, and I'm like, Why would you do that? He's literally the one who has been creating the chances up top for us. And then he goes and he, um, who else did he take out that I was upset? I can't remember.
0: He, he, I, put, he put in Najum for Estrada first, and then they switched the formation, I think. They're saying that they switched it to a 3-4-3. Three, three. I don't know how true that it, that is, because I felt like I still saw four in the back at times.
1: Oh, and I remember the other one. They took out Devin for Romeo, and don't get me wrong, Romeo has a lot of opportunities, but the thing is, he like he doesn't finish right and he takes so many shots and he's open so many times but he just doesn't finish and that's where i'm like okay like you need to call like i i'm like you need to calm down it's gonna be fine maybe this time he'll finish because of the number of chances he always creates and then you know yearwood unfortunately had the own goal and still He wasn't taken out because of that mistake. That's where I'm like, my mind is blown because of that. We lost three points on the road.
0: Yeah. So, so let me, so so let's back it up some. So, like, so going to like El Paso taking a higher volume of shots, like, what do you think is a benefit? Like, why do you think it's good that United doesn't just take shots wherever they're at?
1: And Not taking shots wherever you're at is is ultimately, like, smarter to me because if you put the ball down at your feet and you look to see how you can create this chance and have a higher possibility of getting it to the back of the net, it's way better than, you know, just – if you're at uh, five yards out from the 18, you know, take a shot, take a shot, take a shot, and eventually one is going to go in, you have to really be smarter about that because if you just rely on one going in, how are you going to, you know, play your, re- play your way around that throughout the rest of the game? You can't just rely on taking every single shot and just hope for one to go in when you don't really kind of have, you know, the, the play-by-play to see how it can go in and see what can work against the other team. Because if you start taking shots from outside, that line is going to push up, and they're either going to catch you off sides, you know, 90% of the time, or it's just going to be like kickball, and the defenders are going to be right in front of you, and it's just going to be a boring match.
0: Well, and it doesn't seem like it's smart to take low percentage shots because I mean, that's ultimately what El Paso is doing. And that's why they have a low uh, conversion rate because yeah, we did see some near shots. We did see some balls that kind of went by the goal and it, it was, and I think towards the sec, the start of the second half, we started to see El Paso just riddling shots near the goal. But, and it was just like, wow, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, and it, and it did have kind of a feeling of, man, they're just taking shots. Like they are just, they have that much possession of the ball to where they're just firing at shots and it's coming from anywhere. And it it definitely did seem like kind of a threat, but again, like they're just taking shots from wherever they're at, kind of hoping for that bounce or hoping for, you know, that body up front, someone that's going to see the ball coming and it's just going to deflect it. And, you know, um, after the match at some point, I think even online, like uh one of the one of the one of the people from like Seriously Loco was like, you know, you can't say that El Paso is just playing hoofball, that they're just throwing balls out there and seeing where they go. But it's like one, the broadcaster even kind of called it and said, I, ah, you know, Mark just told him to just, you know, just send it out front and we'll just, you know, and 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 I'll just kind of do something with it. And I mean there were times where it did seem like you know, despite what anyone wants to say that Logan Ketterer was just kicking balls out front. You know, there are times where it just seemed like they were just taking shots and just hoping that something went in, you know, and because I don't see any sort of strategic or any sort of strategy comes from just taking shots. It's just like, you can't, you're going to play basketball and you're just going to shoot bricks all day. Like, like at some point people are going to tell you to stop taking shots.
1: Yeah. It, like I said, it's just – I just don't think it's the smartest, and it's just like you're playing kickball. Just kicking the ball wherever, just and hope it finds the, its way to the back of the net.
0: Right. So, yeah, so so getting into the top of the first half, and I just it is crazy. Like, the 47th minute, Mares has a free kick. The 49th minute, Mare's on a free kick. The 50th minute, corner kick taken by Richie Ryan – the fifty-first minute corner kick taken by Richard Mares. The fifty-second minute free kick by Mares and the fifty-third minute corner kick by Mares. Um, this is where what did, what happened here. Mares took it. I think Maka King was close to it, but he doesn't necessarily. He takes a shot and I think he misses it or something. But um, but that that sequence of play right there to me was crazy because then at 57 Marez gets another chance um, and possession for El Paso 59 is where the own goal. So like just before the old goal at 59, that 10 minutes was just nothing but El Paso. Like I was saying earlier, like in our half they were getting free kicks and corner kicks. And this was coming from fouls that we were conceding on our half, you know, as well as, um, you know, as as well as just the loss of possession. And I, I'm wondering, like, okay, if you're El Paso and you're coming out 2-1 down a half, if, you know, if your coach is like, okay, get in their half and get tangled up with them, try to get them to, like, to concede some fouls, right? And United definitely can give you some fouls. I mean, United, you know, between El Paso and United, United concedes more fouls. I mean, they just do, you know, mm-hmm. so that. They could be physical, but I just it didn't obviously benefit us.
1: No, it didn't benefit us, and what kind of made it worse was when El Paso was starting to put in their subs, and they kept trying to make us commit the fouls. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but when Carijo was in there, he would dribble the ball, and then when he would – see or feel that one of our players was on his back, he would like trip over the ball to see if he would, to see if he would get the foul. But you know, it was ultimately called on him because he was just, you know, he was trying to commit a foul that wasn't necessarily a foul.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I did see that kind of him getting tangled up with Saleh Muhammad. I was like, man, something's going to happen here because I don't know how Saleh Muhammad keeps getting tangled up with this guy. Um, at 59 minutes, though, this is where United gets their own goal. And so, like, the sequence is that Salgado plays across along the front, like, Yearwood ultimately is trying to slide in there and deflect the ball out of the way. But, you know, being that he was going in a, in a back direction, it looks like he tries to kick it out of the way, like, clear it, and he just kicks it, and it hits – into the net so then we have that own goal there and it draws the the match even um, I mean you can't fault him for kicking the ball into the net because I don't what would have happened if the ball wasn't kicked might it have might it had still taken a path into the net would a locomotive player had gotten it or would Cody, have potentially missed it i mean like what could have happened or or could we have gotten a save i don't know
1: the way the angle showed it if yearwood didn't have didn't touch it it was going out so like the goal it's hard to explain but the goal was right there and it was as it was rolling out it was definitely going at a wider angle because you know, like in a triangle, at the top it's skinnier, but it right. was rolling out wider, and it was definitely going more towards the the flag where the corner kicks corner kicks take place. And if your witches just didn't touch it, it was going out, and I believe it was it was our goal kick.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it, it's like see, and that's so hard to know, like if that would have been the science, you know, because, you know, say he didn't touch it and somehow, you know, Mizell misjudged it or who knows, like, I mean, who knows if it still would have been one or like you said, like if it would have just, you know, moved out, but El Paso was definitely the aggressor on that side. And at any rate, we probably would have given it back to them on a corner and then been trying to guard that seems like a a greater possibility to maybe not concede a goal on a corner kick, you know, based on how, how it had been going. It was just, just, I'm sure, I'm sure if you're Troy Lassane, like on the sideline, you're like, keep the ball in, stop giving them these corner kicks unless you're going to start defending these corner kicks, Mm -hmm. you know? Cause I mean, Currently, like, they're just not. Like, I mean, that really is a very opening to our defense is like, hey, just try to get the ball on, on the corner or try to get a set piece because they are not, you know, they just cannot defend that.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. It, at that point, I was like, just just take your wood out after that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, with Troy and his subs, we all don't agree.
0: Yeah, it's, they just need to get you over there as a coach, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so then, sixty-three minutes, King um, should have gotten called for a handball. Um, he, they basically, they the way they described it in the broadcast was that he he saw that he was going to lose it, so he like jumps on the ball with his hands, and everyone, you know, the it seemed like he should have got a second yellow and then been out. But it the play continues, you know. And, I mean, this is more of that pro officiating that we talk about. But, I mean, God, this guy was, like, obviously, like, getting very lucky in this match. This had to be even more frustrating for you.
1: Yeah, it was. Oh, man. That, that guy, Maka King, don't get me wrong. He's an incredible player. And it's just. You know, he's our rival, and it's the attitude that, you know, it frustrates me. And the fact that he kept getting lucky in this match, and we weren't. We were getting yellow cards left and right, and he wasn't getting really called for anything. It just, you know, it, like, blows my mind. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is, like, everything and everyone are on El Paso sites Tonight
0: out of all night. Right. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, it it seems like a lot of calls will go their way. Um, you know, it was definitely a very physical match. So then going into 69, this is when Sandoval comes out, Romeo Parks comes in. Um still El Paso is kind of a little bit on a tear. By minute seventy nine, um, Hamilton and Moreno go out. This is when Tete and Bruce come in, um, and then and Salgado kind of at this point kind of is seems like he's getting in between um, uh, Yearwood and and Tete. Like he's kind of burying himself, like kind of in there, looking for you know kind of an entry point into the goal. Um, I, I wonder if they had addressed Salgado some during the the second hydration break because, you know, obviously Salgado at this point was playing on the left side. He wasn't on the right anymore, you know, and he was playing in that wing side. So he was obviously realizing that Raiden had kind of switched sides a little bit, you know, and he was trying to find the weak side, you know, and kind of get like lost in the shuffle. Um. Parks uh, had a nice chance at 83 minutes, um, but it just goes past the post. And and this is where the broadcaster is saying that both Weehan and Parks kind of were like starting to kind of be like threats. Um, I had a hard time seeing that Weehan was being a threat in the match because when you really looked at his numbers for the night, he didn't really uh, – he didn't really – initiate much of the attack. I mean, he did have some clever balls here and there, but he just kind of looked silent again from the Colorado Springs match. You know,
1: I think it's because um, he kind of got sucked into the middle and he wasn't really kind of standing out like he, like he always does. And to me, yeah, he was doing some plays out there, but he wasn't doing as much as he was before. And like I said it could be the formation and him getting just sucked in the middle.
0: And it doesn't really help that Troy likes to take the offense in the middle anyways because you know you got Wehan and Devin Sandoval or even Romeo Parks lined up central to each other. You know that's where the offense is. I mean, I'm just thinking like when you're playing a side like El Paso and you're in this 4231 is this where you maybe think to put we hand wide, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, or allow him to kind of drop in the mix a little bit, so that he is like not easily like kind of seen. Because you know, like just as it was, you know, it just seemed like it was it was hard for him to really kind of break in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So then at eighty-eight, Salgado gets the ball. This is where, um, he uh, it looks like he grabs the neck of David Najem and like pushes him down. And then he dribbles it in a little bit, you know, taking it kind of down the baseline and sees Dylan Mares kind of slotted, like just outside of the goal box. And he kicks it over to him, to him and then Mares finishes it. And then Locomotive go 3-2. Um, so, you know, I mean, you obviously you have to give it to Salgado for playing the ball that way because he did see his open man. He just – he attracted – the United defenders kind of over to him, and that kind of left Mara is like wide open. I mean, what kind of adjustments could Mizell have made at that time? Could he have? Do you think he could have gotten over to the near side and tried to? Because Mizell wasn't that far off when you saw him kind of jump. It seemed like maybe Mizell was about two inches like over, and when he jumps, you can see like, oh man, if you didn't move, you would have been there.
1: Yeah I saw that and you know it could also be the bad angling as a keeper when you see the player there and they're kind of like a few yards out or a couple feet from you it's kind of hard to tell like to get like on perfect and par with them because you have defenders in your way and then you have players from the other team in your way so you're just kind of eyeing it and see you know like where possibly that ball could go and it could have basically gone anywhere and i believe there was someone in the in the back post um you know on the other side of um man who took the who took the goal i forgot
0: who took the what
1: uh who put who took the shot
0: oh dylan Mares. but he was on yes. he was at the top a little bit
1: yeah, Dylan, uh, with Dylan Maras on on his backside, they could have easily crossed it over and someone behind them could have headed it in. It's just, you know, it's kind of really hard to tell. But to me, Cody was in a good position and he just couldn't get to it. And it it was what it was.
0: Yeah, see, I wondered if he would, if Myzel would kind of anticipate him and kind of, you know just just go out there for it. I mean, that's a risk to obviously send your goalkeeper out of the box to try to trap a ball that's getting passed over. It could have worked, but, I mean, I don't know if that really would have favored United at that time because, you know, the, the net would have been wide open. And if he didn't mm-hmm. get that, like you said, it would have just been surely over either way. So you Locomotive go up 3-2, and United basically cannot find kind of a comeback um, so this would be United's first loss in Group C and the first loss since losing to Austin. Um, still, not a bad result when you consider those things. I mean, they essentially came back and played ten matches, and you know, and, and have only lost one match in ten matches. Um, of course, for us, you know, coming out of Colorado Springs you know, in a match that we probably should have lost, you know, based on the way that Colorado Springs started playing and then see this match. It's like, you know, I didn't, it was just a little bit, it it just has a little bit of that momentum in the wrong direction for us. Um, Just certainly because, you know, now they've drawn one, they've lost one and, and they really need to come out, I think, against Real Monarchs, this n- next match coming up. They really need to come out against them and kind of play, not as though they've already played them, but they. it just seems like they're going to have to do something really big at this point um, t- just to get themselves back on the right track.
1: Yeah, they're they're definitely going to have to do something this weekend. And, you know, maybe with the good news that we got two days ago that we're able to attend a game in Colorado Springs, you know, maybe that can be a motivation to them. You know, like, hey, it's going to be a home away from home game. Our fans are going to be there. Let's make them proud.
0: Yeah, and so speaking of that, I mean, in the press conference, like, one thing that I was really glad that came out this week finally is that, you know, it seems like the team is just understanding that they're going to be on the road. Um, they basically see it as it's something outside of their control, and you know, Devin Sandoval kind of framed it correctly. He kind of said, you know, guys shouldn't worry about being on the road anymore. He's like, he's like, you know, the controllables are the controllables, and this is not one of them, and you know, at this point, like, everyone should just count on playing the next five matches on the road, and and that should not be a, anything that's keeping anyone from giving their all. So I thought, well, that's great that, you know, that they can kind of shift their mind's perspective because I think a lot of us have been more worried, but, you know, here they are playing 11 matches on the road, and they're starting to get tired, or they're starting to get annoyed, or they're starting to get, you know, just you know, they're starting to kind of not want to give their all because nothing's improving, even though they're doing everything that they can do. And so, like you said, hopefully the home match can be something uh, for them. Maybe, like, maybe feeling the energy from the fans can can be something for them to, you know, to be better on and to to secure that. I mean, of course, they'll have to wait, you know, obviously an extra week for that, that thing. But, you know, I think it could be, it could be good and it could definitely change some results for United. Something I wanted to point out though, like at the end of the match for locomotive and El Paso is that again, like locomotive took 21 shots. Only four of them were on target. Um, They had like a shooting accuracy of 19%, basically, you know, and, that may be something that they're fine with because they're thinking look we're just going to shoot a lot of shots and one or two are going to go in but that does definitely explain why they don't score a lot of points and for united to take eight shots and only five are on target and have a 62% shooting accuracy like i'll take that all day long i just maybe wish that i may i maybe wish that they could just increase The volume of their shots because if they're more likely to stay on target then to me i think that they can put a few more back there and they can kind of get a stronger lead um you know but as you know you and i know like it's not just about the offense it's also about the defense Mm -hmm. and so they have to address they have to address that um that El Paso or any team that likes to do crosses or set pieces or whether they either got to stop giving those types of balls away to them or that they really do need to kind of beef up their game against that particular type of attack. Because if you're going to give the ball away, then either guard it. And if you're not going to give the ball away, then, you know, then, then to me, then maybe that's something that they got to figure out, but um, I don't know, that's kind of like, those are kind of like my thoughts about the match, I mean it it seemed like it was evenly played in some parts but El Paso definitely did kind of come out and kind of own the second half as far as I could see
1: Yeah, it yeah, I I agree and as you were saying about the, the shots and the goals, it's Something that we're going to have to really kind of look into because if if we go into the playoffs and we see, you know, Phoenix and Reno in there, those are teams that they're going to keep going and going and going and they're nothing like us. They're going to, you know, they're not like El Paso where they just start taking shots out of whatever area they're in. These are teams that they're going to pass make the plays and keep taking those shots and that's why you know they have a higher uh, pass accuracy and because of that they have way more shots on target than we do and they put in way more goals than we do every single game
0: right right so just kind of shifting our focus from el paso to uh, Real Monarchs, uh, just for a few to kind of just kind of preview some of the things about Real Monarchs um, as United will be playing them this weekend. One one thing out there is that Real Monarchs beat Colorado Springs Switchbacks four-one. Um, did you see Real Monarchs waking up and uh, and putting a hurt on Colorado Springs Switchbacks? I mean, Switchbacks have drawn the last four matches.
1: Yeah, I saw that, and I think that they were honestly going to pull the same thing they did with Austin Bold, but, you know, it just wasn't working out for them in the end.
0: So, just some notables. uh, Real Monarchs scorers on the night. Um, Bodie Davis, um, Noah Powder, I think this is Jack Blake, and... Um, and Brown. I don't have his first name. Um, Oh, here it is. Um, Sorry, it takes a minute to find these guys. Bodie Davis and Sam Brown. So they get the four goals uh, for Real Monarchs. I kind of watched the highlights before we got on because I just did not get a chance to check this match out. Um, and for the most part, I mean, you know, the way the goals were scored, I think one was scored as a, as a corner kick and the others were just really like, um, was just about getting angles on the goalkeeper. Um, and it was Abraham Rodriguez who was in, um, and, um, for the most part, or sorry, it wasn't Abraham. It was um, Sean Melvin who was in, and for the most part, it just seemed like they were just getting different angles on the guy. I mean, you know, nothing too spectacular. I mean, we've played we've played switchbacks before. You know, Sean Melvin has looked good against us, but you know, Real Monarchs seemed like they probably had a little bit of their late season form. You know, and they were trying to figure out how to do certain things um, right. You know, it concerns me that Real Monarchs are waking up so late in the season. Not because I think that they have a shot because I don't think they really do. Um, But because of the fact that any team at the bottom of a table waking up, like now at this point, they're just trying to see, you know, obviously what wins they can get. You know, that's about the drive at this point. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I do. It's like how I was saying um, in, like, I think two or three episodes ago where we it was too early to tell in the season, but you still have to watch out for the teams at the bottom of the table because those are teams that you could potentially be seeing in the playoffs because they wake up so late in the season.
0: Right. Now, for switchbacks, the lone goal came from Aiden Daniels. I'm not surprised. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he is obviously the one who's been very consistent for them. Um, just kind of looking through some of the numbers uh, for them. So, again, they the Real Monarchs won 4-1. And my computer comes up. Um, Colorado Springs had 56% of the possession um it's kind of upsetting or i guess disappointing that they couldn't necessarily turn something around um having the greater amount of of the possession and for the most part looking at the scores um monarchs school scored two goals in the first half and two in the second half so certainly um, switchbacks went up one nil. then it from there, they just they just could not answer. And um, something else about this match, I mean, their duel and success rate in aerial, aerial duels, I mean, that seems like something we're... I mean, we've already seen it against them, and we were able to limit them to one goal. Um, but they they didn't need too much of the possession. I mean, they just ultimately had different guys who could get, um, get hot on the night. Um, yeah, I mean, switchbacks had more passes than them. Switchbacks had 20 interceptions. Um, when it came to uh, pass accuracy in the opponent's half, as well as their own, they were level with 85% and 71%. Um, Monarchs had 18 crosses, um, to, to switchbacks, 13. So still both teams that do that. Um, here, here's where we can kind of, I guess, look at it a little bit. So switchbacks kind of played the match the way New Mexico probably played the match. Uh, switchbacks had six shots and they had four on target. They had like a 66% shooting accuracy. Um, but they only got one goal from six shots, and that's probably pretty level with what Switchbacks has done even against United. Um, switchbacks had more shots than us in the last match, and they only had one goal to really come from that. You know, And it seems like some of that has to do with the fact of where they're taking their shots from. Um, switchbacks surprisingly took all six of their shots from inside the box. And as you and I know watching the Switchbacks, they're definitely dangerous outside the box.
1: Yeah, they are. And it's more it's not even set pieces with them at all. It's the them being kind of open and just letting them dribble past you because as soon as they see a little bit of space, they're gonna take the shot, Especially yeah. Aiden Daniels.
0: Right. So Real Monarchs had seventeen shots, they had five on target, they had five blocks, seven outside the box and ten inside the box. So to me, Real Monarchs, obviously, you know, they looked dangerous. I mean, 17 shots, like to me, their shooting accuracy was 30%, so they probably were just also kind of like El Paso taking shots. Um, But the fact of the matter that they had 10 inside the box kind of concerns me because that means that they were obviously getting in spaces um, within the back line and the fact that that there was enough space created between – them and and the switchback defenders to be able to get those shots off like i definitely think that united plays monarchs differently as we have seen um you know they obviously did not give them that many opportunities i just hope that that's something that can continue um looking at their dif- defense monarchs tackle success rate was 63 percent. so I mean, a number like that is kind of encouraging uh, as far as United's concerned, because United definitely, uh, I think, are, are stronger when it comes to tackling. Um, so, I mean, if you remember the last time United and Real Monarchs played each other, uh, what what were some of the keys to those matches? What were some of the things that you felt United did well Um you know and obviously maybe some areas that United needs to work on
1: I think what we did well was kind of taking possession of the ball very early in the in the game and you know keeping it like that and not you know um kind of falling down when we make a mistake or when we concede a goal that's what we were doing fine with because We kept going and going and going, and we were creating so many opportunities against the Monarchs. And with that being a concern, my only concern right now is not technically on these past matches, but it's the fact that, you know, being on the road so much, could it start affecting us? And if so, can something motivate the guys to keep getting the three points on the road? Cause right now, what I'm worrying is the guys playing the full ninety, and they've been doing that, and they just can't stop now.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and, and that's what we were kind of just just talking about is like what are the, like what are the controls, like what what things can be done for United to be able to you know to to take away some of, of of those. I guess, worries or, you know, or restrictions or whatever it is that that keeps them. I mean, I'm sure they're tired. I'm sure flying or being on a bus, I'm sure at some point you get tired of it. I, you know, I think about us, we're usually at home and then all of a sudden you have to start getting out again, like, you know, like that's not going to be the greatest to go from sitting at home all the time to now all of a sudden you got to go back to work and you got to go five days a week and you know what i mean like you don't even get yeah. <laughs> to ease back into it so um i think it's just going to be it's just going to be the understanding it's going to be the relationships that they have built like on the team between um between troy Lassane and the assistant coaches and you know like i think that they just have to kind of make room for you know, just for those days. And and they're going to just have to kind of just invest in those bonds as much as they can because I I don't think there's anything that really can be done other than, again, like the home match that will be in Colorado Springs in two weeks and possibly it's possible that there there might be another home match. I mean, um, you know, the bonus episode podcast that – that we released um that should be on the internet tomorrow as well tomorrow being um friday the the other date, the 11th um that's when the bonus episode with peter trevisani will be on the internet so if you hear this episode before that one um then you'll want to check that one out to hear more about the home match, as well as some of the things that um, Peter's thinking might be able to happen after the facts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, there's limited controls. But for the most part, I think that United just has to go out and just kind of treat these next uh, five matches. It's just like they don't, like, just as a zero zero, you know? Like, they got to. Yeah,
1: they're going to have to.
0: So you know, so like looking at the table really quick um, before we call it call it a night on the episode. Um, so looking at the table, so Group C, uh, United still out front with twenty points, um, five matches to go. El Paso has a game in hand they have played 10 matches they have 18 points uh real monarchs 10 matches also a game in hand have 10 points and colorado switchbacks at 11 matches have 8 points so let's talk about points possibility okay new mexico united have five matches left um they have to play obviously switchbacks um monarchs twice el paso and rgv so they have four matches in the group to play that's a possibility of 12 points there plus the three points against rgv so that's 15 points so united's total points that they can earn is 35 points if they win the last five matches okay el paso has a match in hand so they have 16 matches technically or sorry six matches technically to play um three points that they could potentially earn from each match is 18 points so that would put their total at 36 which would be obviously a match greater than united but since they're playing each other that next three points is a very huge indicator of first and second place. Um, To me, I think what you're looking at is if both El Paso and United win all their matches, then what's going to happen is they're like, so El Paso wins five of their matches and they're sitting at 33 points. New Mexico wins four of their matches and they're sitting at 32 points. So at that point, El Paso is up on the points by one point. If El Paso wins, then they're going to be looking at that. uh, Sorry, uh, they'll be looking at that 33, 36 points. However, if New New Mexico wins, They'll be looking at 35 points, and El Paso will be looking at 33 points. And so that's the way that New Mexico can get first place if both El Paso and New Mexico both win all their games, Is New Mexico would have to win. If New Mexico draws with El Paso and they win all their matches, it's going to be tied, and it's going to come down to – the tiebreaker comes down to wins first and then goal differential second, and then goals – Uh, for third. So we don't obviously want to get ourselves um, in a situation um, to where where we have to get down to the last match. Um, And the other important thing to look at is Real Monarchs have six matches to go as well, and that's a total of 18 points that they can earn. So 28 is a score they can get. So if El Paso starts losing... Or United starts losing, um, it could potentially put Real Monarchs in a position to kind of be a, a threat. So, you know, I I wish that it was easier to tell that we were going to clinch, but you know, we still need El Paso to lose, and we need New Mexico to win.
1: Yeah, we
0: do, like always. So, well, Alicia, uh, it's definitely been. An episode talking about El Paso and also looking ahead to Real Monarchs. Um, where can folks find you on the internet?
1: Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at exclusive underscore Alicia, and on Facebook you can find me under Alicia Arias.
0: All right, and you can find me at by Chris Walker on Twitter and Instagram, and on Facebook you can find me under Christopher M Walker. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the episodes, uh, taking the player rating polls after the matches, as well as answering the questions and kind of giving us your sort of perspective on what you think United could do better or even some of the things that they are doing great. Uh, continue to, uh, to to do those things. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at matches. And we're going to get out of here. This has been We Are Seek and Strike Podcast. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike Podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek & Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.